0: In this report the secret life of corrosion what you can do about it from a diy point of view from a design perspective critical mistakes that you really shouldn't make and also the thorny issue of repairs i'm jordan from autoexpert.com.au and i don't rust but i get new cars cheap Australia only website card now if all corrosion ever did was consume caravans and return them to their raw material state of being you know bauxite and iron oxide i think we'd all be sitting here going that's zero porter hovels out there gumming up the friggin highway i'm all for it But corrosion is actually a much more significant problem than that. And it impacts you here in your fat cave or there in your fat cave and in your car and in all other aspects of life. There's some freaking corroded thing that you've got to come to grips with from time to time. So in this report, we're going to drill down into the trio of mechanisms that commonly cause corrosion and talk about exactly what the F you can do about it. This report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams, and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech-savvy to use NordVPN. It's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click, and you are protected from hackers, malware, and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly, and it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity, and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security, not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to NordVPN.com slash AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's NordVPN.com slash AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. This episode is inspired entirely by you. And by you, I mean someone like you, except they own a caravan but let us not judge them too harshly off the bat in relation to that because it was most probably procured in a moment of weakness and god knows it hasn't really been an experience devoid of consequences a lot of so much stress in relation to caravans in addition to you know bringing down the value of the neighborhood his name's michael and he goes My wife and I purchased a 2015 Jayco Starcraft Outback Caravan approximately two years ago and we are the third owners. Well, Michael, that's going to tell you a little something about just how delighted the first two owners were with their Jayco Starcraft porter hovel. I oh, noticed a short time after the purchase a slight bubble onto one of the decals on the side of the caravan. It's aluminium clad, not composite. Thank God. No one wants a plastic porter potty on wheels. You know, your effluent deserves to be touring the great Australian F all in a aluminium box, certainly. Well done. The bubble got bigger over time and I decided to cut into the bubble with a safety blade thinking it was an air bubble and I'd release the air from under the deck, Al. <laughs> it just seemed like the right thing to do. Press probably. A white powder came out. It's like a deleted scene from Narco's Shitsville, isn't it? A white powder came out of the cotton I'd made and I understand this to be electrolysis. Almost certainly not. Since then, the bubble has increased in size, plus I have found two other spots where electrolysis is happening. I took the caravan to our local Jayco dealer in Devonport, who said that he had seen it before. He took photos, no an apostrophe and photos, Michael, and said he'd contact Jayco for a solution and he'd get back to me. After two weeks, I returned to the dealer and said it had no response from Jayco. Bastards. I contacted Jaco in Victoria, who said I should get in touch with my local dealer or my Jaco State Distributor in Hobart. I did contact Jaco Hobart and made an appointment to have them inspect the caravan. Yes, so we hauled the caravan down to Hobart and had Jaco inspect the electrolysis, which is probably almost certainly not electrolysis. But hey, he said he'd never seen it before, and here I cry bullshit. He suggested that the caravan was well out of warranty and that I should probably make an insurance claim. My insurance company states, in my policy, they don't cover rust, which is what I'm assuming they call it to try to get out of paying for the repair. Uh, Double back, bastards. To rectify the problem, the whole side of the caravan will have to be removed, find the course of the electrolysis, fix that, then reclad the side of the caravan with new aluminium and decals, which will run into many thousands of dollars. So I'm writing to you to seek your opinion regards, Michael. What I would do, Michael, is I'd take my caravan to the ocean and turn it into an artificial reef, thereby just improving the, the road system in Australia incrementally so. (sighs) But if you really do want to deal with it, we should drill down into the whole issue of corrosion, because there are three mechanisms for corrosion. There's just straight old oxidation, which you see all the time, and then there's galvanic corrosion, which is a feature of two different metals in contact with each other in a humid, damp, sort of pornographic environment and then there's electrolysis which basically needs a source of electricity and the beard strokers in the fora, i note are very keen to call galvanic corrosion electrolysis when in fact the corrosion that you generally see in aluminium in automotive applications is almost exclusively galvanic So let's drill down into all of that, shall we? I will try, ever so slightly, to lose as few viewers as possible due to eruption of blood from the ears in relation to all of this. Now, oxidation. SDS chisel point tool thinger, okay? This is oxidising. It's been sitting on the floor of the fat cave for a couple of years now. It's quite humid in here, particularly in summer. And basically atmospheric oxygen is just getting into the steel and causing orange rust, which you see everywhere on exposed bits of low carbon structural steel that is not painted or treated in some other way. This is the most common kind of oxidation, right? Now Everything oxidises like... Galvanized pipe oxidizes, comes out of the factory really, really shiny, and then it progressively turns that dull gray color, right? And here's an example of something else that's been galvanized, a bolt with a nut and a washer. It's even grayer, so it's got even more oxide on it, and, you know, you get bolts in all kinds of flavors. Galvanized bolts, very common, okay? So... The blacks just paint i was using as i was using it as a standoff for some spray painting the other day so anyway the thing about galvanization right from the point of view of oxides the thing that makes this oxide different to this oxide for example is that this oxide remains porous on the steel whereas this oxide creates a coating that's impervious to things like water and atmospheric oxygen. So not only is the galvanization protecting the steel, but the oxide on the outside of the galvanization is protecting the zinc by virtue of it being sort of impervious to the slings and arrows of water and air, basically. And you see the same thing on aluminium, which... A North American would call aluminum. There's a really thin layer of oxide forms on aluminium and turns it a grey colour and basically that just is impervious to more air and water and it stops the aluminium corroding very much more and this is probably a few thousand atoms thick meaning very thin in the context of millimetres and thousands of an inch and microns and things of that nature it's a really thin coating but it prevents air and water from getting to the underlying metal so when aluminium things start to form fall apart it's almost certainly not just oxidation because that's not a failure mechanism for aluminium in the domain of corrosion right if aluminium starts to fall apart, it's almost certainly the second kind of corrosion, which is galvanic corrosion. And you need to be a proper brainiac to understand, or at least a beer garden brainiac, to understand galvanic corrosion. Because there's an activity series for metals. The most common highly active metal that is kind of safe to handle is magnesium. I wouldn't be doing too much with magnesium in the public domain for corrosion protection, putting it on steel and things like that, because it's flammable. Magnesium is the stuff when you get the kiddies, some sparklers, when we used to have Krakenite and they gave us sparklers and things like that, then it's actually little flakes of magnesium that do the sparkling, okay? So magnesium, highly flammable, not so much when you alloy it with aluminium in wheels, doesn't burn so much then, but there's even more active metals. There's sodium, which explodes essentially if you put it in water, and then there's francium, which you wouldn't really want to touch anytime soon. So the most common active metal used for its galvanic properties is zinc, because zinc is highly active, but safe, okay? Yay. And that's why you see it protecting the steel in pipes. And you gotta say to yourself, well, why does the zinc protect the steel, because you've got zinc, aluminium, steel, and then copper and bronze and all the copper type alloys, right, in terms of really active to not that active, which is of course why copper is good for water pipes, because it's not very active, okay, the copper is really good for a whole bunch of things, it uh, oxidises not unlike uh, aluminium too, this is a 20 year old copper sledgehammer now it's a pretty esoteric hammer it's the kind of thing you would see a fitter use in industry in an oil refinery because it doesn't spark but basically this hammer is an artifact of my past and I don't use it very often it just sits on the floor and. It's been like this for years and it doesn't corrode away. It just basically tarnishes on the outside and it kind of stays that way. It will be hundreds of years until this is consumed by corrosion. Not so much hundreds of years for something like raw steel. Okay? So there's that to consider. The other thing about steel, incidentally, if you want to know about rust, is that hardened steel, the kind of thing you would see in this V-block, for example, which is also polished, is much more resistant to rusting than low-carbon steel that's just pot-rolled mild steel like this round bar sitting on top and clamped into the V-block, right? So there's the surface finish and the hardness of steel really affects its corrosion performance as well. Harder, polished surfaces do much better than unpolished, low-carbon, unhardenable steels, okay? So Back to galvanism and galvanic corrosion. When you put an active metal in close contact with a less active metal like steel. So this is zinc on the outside of a steel bolt. And what happens here, apart from the zinc being not unlike paint in that it coats the surface and prevents oxygen and water from getting to the steel. There's also an electrochemical reaction that is not electrolysis. Between the zinc and the steel and effectively what happens is the zinc sacrifices itself to protect the steel because the zinc is more active than the steel and the same thing would happen if you coated steel with aluminium or zinc and aluminium on top of steel, which is why every second metal roof in the country is coated with zinc loom right? It's the zinc and the aluminium on top of steel. Steel provides the structural performance, the zinc and the aluminium provide the corrosion resistance to the steel by sacrificing themselves over time so that the steel may live and this is why you can get a really thin sheet of steel that's durable for three or four decades in a corrosive harsh exterior environment, right? It's also painted which obviously helps. So It's most probably a galvanic thing that is affecting Michael's caravan because for electrolysis to happen, you need actual electricity to be flowing through something in the presence of an electrolyte, which in practice, although there is electricity in vans, it's probably not that. It's probably got something to do with some steel in proximity to the aluminium right? Because if some steel is in proximity to the aluminium, the aluminium will start sacrificing itself to protect the steel. And interestingly enough, you see galvanic reactions everywhere. Like this is a welding table. Basically, I use it for fit up and I can weld bits to it and break them off and grind it flat again. And when it gets covered in BBs, I can grind it off. But it's just structural grade mild steel, right? It's a few 250 channels stacked up. Okay, and obviously what I've got here, if I can just get it out, is a welding earth clamp, right? And you can see in there that the earth clamp is copper, yeah? And what happens is because copper is not very active at all and if I leave this clamp clamped onto the table over there for five or six weeks or something, the table will inevitably start to flash rust And where it flash rusts the most is near the copper because the steel is more active than the copper and therefore the steel starts sacrificing itself to protect the copper. And that's why the flash rusting on the table is at its most severe right near the clamp because of this galvanic reaction. So if you notice some specific localized rust in your caravan or your boat or anything else that is just made of aluminium, then you should look for the presence of a less active metal in proximity, which would most probably be steel. And while we're talking about this, this galvanic reaction, here's how this can bite you on the ass in unexpected ways, okay? Let's say you're in your fat cave and you've got a couple of bits of sheet steel and you wanna make something, and you decide to pop rivet it together. And because you're a cheap ass like me, you don't wanna go and buy anything new. You just wanna dodge it up from the stuff that you've accumulated around you, okay, which is fair enough. And you'd see some aluminium pop rivets, right? So that's the last thing you should think is a good idea because if you put a small amount of active metal like aluminium, together with a large amount of relatively less active metal, like sheet steel, then the aluminium is going to sacrifice itself, okay? And that means your rivets are going to fall apart quickly just by virtue of their close contact with steel and the galvanic reaction between them, and your design is going to fall apart and fail to be anything like as durable as you had hoped. Here's another couple of ways that galvanic uh, corrosion really does impact on you in your fat cave like if you're pulling something apart that like a piece of yard equipment let's say you've got the engine for a lawnmower or brush cutter chainsaw whatever and let's say it's got a cast iron bore and an aluminium head like a cast aluminium head The cast aluminium head is going to be held onto the bore by steel bolts and therefore that cast aluminium is going to be in close contact with a fair bit of steel which over 20 years means that the more active metal the aluminium is going to sacrifice itself which is why it's really common to break the cast aluminium components on engines that have been in service for decades because the aluminium has been progressively sacrificing itself while it's been in contact with the steel and the other thing you'll notice is not all that much corrosion of the steel okay you might notice a bit of corrosion on the exhaust because it gets ridiculously hot and that increases the excitation of the metal that's in contact with oxygen in the atmosphere and makes this kind of corrosion go through the roof. But for everything else, just the actual block itself or a cylinder sleeve and things of that nature, when you've got an aluminium head, by definition, the aluminium is gonna protect the steel, Okay, and the bolts holding the head to the block are going to be in close contact. So if you are gonna design something, let's say, that's gonna have aluminium and steel components. You really do have to try to keep them apart. That has to be part of the underlying intrinsic design brief. Otherwise, you're going to get this white powdery type corrosion in the aluminium that Michael has experienced in his caravan. But just to round off Michael's problem, okay, seven-year-old Chitois, and it's got three little holes in it flowing from some kind of most probably galvanic corrosion. What do you do? I suggest that what you do is you just deal with it by superficial, it's a superficial problem. So you give it a superficial solution, you get a little cup, wire brush on electric drill and you polish it out and then you get a bit of Bondo and you slap it over that. And if you need something to support it from behind, you just get another little bit of aluminium sheet metal, just cut it out of a drink can and epoxy it to the back as a support, Bondo over the top, sand it flat, give it the spray treatment, Bob's your mother's brother because the cladding is not structural and these holes sound pretty small. So instead of spending thousands of dollars and cursing your insurance company to the end of time, then just give it a superficial repair because it's taken seven years to get to this point, right? It might take another three or four years for another three or four holes to materialise and just deal with it exactly the same way and just say, we live in a universe that's subject to the second law of thermodynamics and therefore nothing lasts forever and I'm going to just deal with these little shitty incremental problems along the way rather than making it bigger than Ben-Hur. I see a lot of the beard-stroking, Chitois owning fraternity obsessing about minutiae like this when in my view what they should be doing instead is just doing what I do which is when confronted with problems of this nature I just think about boobies because you can be just as obsessed and it's more pleasant right it's going to take you 15 minutes with the bondo to deal with this and then it will all go away for a few years and when it comes back as it inevitably will you just deal with it again but I would further suggest that I get the impression that the caravan industry in Australia is the wild, wild west of bad practices and even worse support. And it would not surprise me at all if in an infinity of design and construction corners were being cut, opening the door to these galvanic reactions in those chitois up and down the highway because it costs money to get the insulating tape in between the two dissimilar metals and you really do need to engage in a higher caliber of training for the people who are putting these vans together if you if you want to stamp out galvanic corrosion because it's kind of a big deal but this has been sitting on the wall ever since i stopped rock climbing about i don't know 20 years ago or something and Here's how much it's oxidized just by virtue of being in contact with the atmosphere. The oxidation factor is bugger all, okay? So to make aluminium rot away, you really do need to open the door to galvanic action. And if you do that, then you've really got to deal with it in some way. If it's only superficial, you just say, hey, slings and arrows, whatever. But you will find if you pull apart yard machinery and things of that nature, that the older it is, the longer it's been in service, the harsher the environment, the more water it's been exposed to, when you unbolt these things it's really likely that the cast aluminium is going to start behaving as if it's made of really crumbly cheese and just fail as you start to disassemble it and there's not a great deal you can do about that because even though its shape hasn't changed the actual amount of aluminium in there is much much less and it literally is a shadow of its former self. As to the issue of electrolysis, I think the likelihood of electrolysis type failures in vans in particular is very low and even in boats is very low so I'd really be wanting to cross off the dissimilar metals thing first because electrolysis needs uh, a much, uh, it needs a grand alignment of the planets. You need the source of electricity, you need the electrolyte, you need the current to be flowing and frankly It's just unlikely for that to be happening on the outside of a caravan off the bat.